You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. We're going to talk today about living by faith. What does it mean to live by faith? How do we actually live by faith? Last week we talked about why. Why a series on faith? Why do we need to be people who live by faith? And this week we're going to talk about how. How do we begin to live by faith? Do you realize that the nearest star to our star, the sun, if we traveled at light speed, which by the way, we can't travel at light speed. You know that, right? Like when they say, oh, if we traveled at light speed, like there is a huge engineering feat there that has yet to be made. We can't travel at light speed, but if we could, it would take us five years traveling full time at light speed just to get to the next closest star. And you wouldn't want to get to the next closest star because that thing is a ball of radiating heat and, and uh, radiation, and you do not want to be anywhere near a star. None of us can habit a star. We don't want to get near it, but if we could, it'd be five years. And that's the next closest star to us. That's not even out of our neighborhood. I mean, that's this huge amount of space. Space was created so vast. Space was created to be too big and for us to realize that it was not created for us to inhabit all of space. It's just too big. The distances are too vast. There's too much out there. Do you realize that there are estimated 10 times more stars in the known universe than there are sands on all the beaches of the world and all the deserts of the world? There are more stars than grains of sand. Try to wrap your mind around that for a moment. And that's not projection. And they say, well, how can we estimate sand? And they kind of, you know, scientists will do this and mathematicians and statisticians will try to figure that out. But what they realize, even on a conservative level, that there are probably 10 times more stars than those grains of sand. Unreal, just how big our universe is. To understand that we live on this little teeny planet that God of the universe who created all that would care about you and your life. When you look at the stars, the stars are calling to you and telling you that by faith, you're to live in awe and reverence and in obedience to that God, the God who spoke those things into being. And the author of Hebrews begins to tell us in Hebrews chapter 11 about that experience. If you have your Bible, open with me to Hebrews chapter 11, beginning with verse 1. It says, now faith is the confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. And by faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what is visible. What I want to do is I want to show you a picture here I took uh, between Christmas and New Year's. We went to the Point Arena Lighthouse. Go ahead and you put that up on the screen. And, and this picture of the Point Arena Lighthouse with the stars. So I just want you to see, here's a lighthouse. There's an ocean down below. And up above it, there's stars. Do you see the Milky Way in that photo? The Milky Way is where the cluster of stars are combined together, and that's the edge of our galaxy. In other words, if you took the, the circle, circular plate of our galaxy and turned it on its side, that's what you're seeing when you see the Milky Way. You're seeing the edge. And it's this beautiful expanse, and what I want you to understand is that 
what the ancients were commended for is faith, but by faith, he said, we understand the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of that of what was visible. So what I need to let you know is this, that God made the first matter out of spoken matter. There was no stockpile. God didn't go like, you know what, I'm gonna take all this matter over here and I'm gonna now craft the universe. If you and I take clay and we wanna craft pottery, we have some matter to work with. But what we're saying here is that God made it not by anything visible, but that he spoke it into being, that he just, his eternal and trustworthy word said, let there be light, and there is light. I think the author, his point here is this. Let's stop putting God on equality with people. Let's stop taking God and bringing him down out of that vast universe and put him on our little planet and put him in our neighborhood and in your house and make him your little idol, your little God. He's saying, listen, that God who spoke these words into being, in other words, when God speaks, it is very different than when you and I air our opinions. He is a mighty God. And by faith, the ancient people put their faith, and one of the things that gave evidence and credence to their faith is what they saw. That they could see that there was something beyond them. They could see that there was a God who spoke the universe into being. And so all of Hebrews chapter 11 begins to tell us about the people, the very real people, who from ancient times put their faith in that God. And he begins to use these as illustrations of because these people put their faith in that God, you, in your age, in your time right now, can put your faith in that God and you can live by faith. And so Hebrews 11.4 says this, by faith, Abel brought a better offering than Cain did. And by faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he's dead. Right away, he introduces some characters from the Old Testament. But we need to go back and look and see what this illustration is. You might read this chapter and not have any idea who Abel is. No idea who Cain is. So we've got to go back and we've got to look at one of the first families on earth. And it's all the way back in your Bible in Genesis chapter 4. Beginning with verse 3, let's look at the historical count of the first family on earth. You had Adam and Eve, and among their children were Cain and Abel, two brothers. And this is what God's word says, Genesis chapter 4. In the course of what? Time. Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought offering fat portions from some of the what? Firstborn of his flock. And the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. And then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, Sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. So God comes along and he, he says, I love how God asks questions. He asks rhetorical questions. Why are you angry? Why is your face so downcast? Does God know why his face is downcast? Does God know why he's angry? Absolutely. 
but God raises the issue. Your face is showing the condition of your heart. How many of you in this room have trouble hiding your emotions? You can't hold that straight face. You're a bad poker player. People can read your disapproval. Yes, amen. Well, that was the issue with Cain. And we say, what in the world is going on here? I mean, it just seems like two guys brought offerings and God liked one and didn't like the other. What in the world? Like, it doesn't make sense to us. You would read that and think, like, what is God being picky about? What is God doing? Like, both guys brought an offering, but, but what's going on? And the difference here is that Abel brought some of the firstborn from his flocks. In other words, the first of his income, the first of his livelihood, he brought the first, and his first compulsion was to bring the first to the God who created that universe. That he said, God, I'm going to bring you the first, I'm going to bring this offering, and God received it as acceptable. But I want to look back at Genesis chapter 4, verse 3 again. The very first words that it talks about, it says, in the course of what? Time, Cain. See, Abel brought the first fruits, but Cain, in the course of time, finally got around to giving God an offering. It wasn't his first compulsion. It wasn't the first of his heart. It wasn't really the first of his tent. He just finally got around to bringing something, and it wasn't even the first. And so God, in this situation, he didn't accept the offering. Cain brought it, but God didn't accept it. And Cain became angry. And Cain becomes so angry, and he lets his anger go unchecked. And he eventually goes around, he's like, I can't get angry. I'm angry at you, God, and I'm displeased at how you're interacting with me. So the only person I can take it out on is my brother. I don't know about you, but there are times I got in arguments with my brother, and I knew I'm going to get in trouble, so I made sure that my brother got, you know, we would wrestle and fight and all that stuff. We'd be fighting and be like, I'm already in trouble. So I might as well give it to him while, you know, while I got a chance. Because it's coming to me for sure. Well, Cain's no different. He's no different than the person who wants to try to do life their way. And they get mad at people who seem blessed by God when God blesses them for doing it God's way. Can you hear what I'm saying? that sometimes the heart of murder starts in you and me. We can't get back at God, but what do we do? We attack the people who are doing things the way that God instructed us to do. And our world is full of people who have the heart of Cain. And so we find in the Bible the very first human murder. Cain murders his brother Abel. And Abel's blood gets spilled in the ground. And throughout scripture, it says that the blood of Abel still speaks. That the blood of Abel as a witness cries out. In fact, it's one of the encouragements for us when we see Christian people who are martyred. That they are not martyred and dead and gone, but that their shed blood still cries out. Much like Jesus Christ's shed blood still cries out that there is forgiveness available through the real sacrifice of the firstborn Jesus. Cain was mad because his offering was not the first of his income. Honoring God for Cain, giving back to God for Cain was an afterthought. It wasn't something that he thought about too much. I'll get to it eventually. But I want to refer to you today to this truth that God wants all the firsts of your life 
and it's kind of a foreign idea for us. But I want you to understand that God, that creator of the universe, he wants the first of your life. He wants the first of my life. And that's why Satan, our enemy, the opposer, the evil one, he wants you and I to consider the first of life as our own. He wants you and I to think that it's all ours and maybe in the course of time, we share some with God. But what God says is the first are mine and what I want so much are the first. I, God in a right way, being the God that he is, deserves the firsts of our lives and you can give God the first of your life by faith. If you're taking notes today, the first thing that God wants is your heart. He wants your heart in the New Testament, there were experts of the law and Pharisees and others who were trying to trap Jesus. And so one of them comes to him in Matthew 22, verse 35, and this is an expert of the law. It says, one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Were the Pharisees who were trying to trap Jesus in his words, were they loving their neighbor? Absolutely not. So Jesus in a sense goes, here's the first and the second is you can't have the first loving God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and not have the byproduct of loving others. And so we love God and we love people and the first thing God wants in your life that you can give to him is your heart. God, I give you my heart. I give you my heart of stone and you watch as God makes your heart of stone a heart of flesh. Some of you think, i got to get my heart to be like a good heart before I can give it to God. No, no, no. We give God our cold heart, our hard heart, and he makes it a heart of flesh, a heart that has life in it again. He wants your heart. The second thing that God wants is your firstborn. He wants your firstborn. How many of you in the room, by the way, are firstborn in your family? Firstborns? All right, you're special. You are special. God wants all of our children, but God being the God that he is, gives actually a special honor to the firstborn. In a Jewish culture, the firstborn got twice as much inheritance as the rest of the family. And so basically God is putting as the firstborn, as he's the giver of gifts of our children, he wants us to honor him with our firstborn child. And this is intentional because firstborns are intentional and they're influential. Exodus 13, 12 God says, you are to give over to the Lord the first offspring of every womb. Set apart unto me all the firstborn. What did Abel do when he brought his offering? He brought the firstborn, some offerings from the firstborn of his flock. He brought the first to God. And God is asking you and I as parents, if God has blessed you with children, to honor him with all your children but acknowledge him, dedicate for him, especially the firstborn. We dedicate all our kids here, and we do child dedication at Sun Grove Church, but we understand that there's something unique about the firstborn. Why? Because all people have influence, but especially the firstborn. And I gotta tell you, if Satan can mess up the firstborn, it'll influence the secondborn, thirdborn, fourthborn. Do you see where I'm going? But if God gets the heart of your firstborn, if we dedicate the first to the Lord, and then they have choice whether they follow him or not. Parents, you and I, our job is to dedicate. Our job is to help really direct their appetites. 
Our job is to help modeling honoring God with the first. But the day comes when our children get up and they go out and they leave the home and they have to choose, will I honor God with the first of my life? And most importantly, will I give him my heart first? Will I be a person who lives by faith? So parents, parenting is by faith, isn't it? We don't know how long we'll have our kids. We don't know, we have no guarantees whether they will ultimately continue to follow the Lord. But what we do know is that we can, by faith, honor God in how we raise our kids. And that's an important thing. In fact, uh, Satan wanted to destroy Jesus, the firstborn of God. Satan wants to bring about your destruction. Whether you're a firstborn, secondborn, thirdborn, fourthborn, God wa Satan wants to bring about your destruction. Satan has tempted you to think that the first, which are dedicated to God, are really just yours all along. And many of you haven't considered what God expects of you when it comes to the first of your life. The very idea that the first of your life are supposed to be God's right now, and not later on, not in the course of time, uh, not, you know, as eventually you'll get to it, will awaken you to the opportunity that you can step out right now and begin to give God the first of your life. It's an opportunity. Your mind is being awakened. God wants the first of my life, and this is opportunity for me to respond to him by faith. Listen, at Sun Grove, we want to come alongside you as parents. We don't expect any of us to be perfect parents. We're not. Parenting is hard. Parenting takes a lot of work. It's a big struggle. But I want you to know that we've got a parenting seminar that is coming up. And I've got a slide for you I want to put up in there, the Confident Parenting Seminar. You can text CONFIDENT to 97000 and find out more information about it. But what we're doing is three times this year on a Thursday night, we are bringing out Jim Burns. Jim Burns is a legend in the field of youth ministry. When I was doing youth ministry and I was in college and seminary and in getting my master's degree, I read books by Jim Burns. And Jim Burns is a legend in this area and he is so down to earth and will talk with you and I, how do we be confident parents? We can all increase how we parent and do that. And we're going to bring them out three times this year. The first is a, is a week from Thursday, and we want you to be able to be here. We've got childcare for you. We've got uh, tutoring for your kids if they've got homework to do so that you can be here to honor God with the first. Yeah, give it up for that. That's good stuff. Jim Burns is funny. He's engaging. He's a legend. You will not want to miss it. But what do we want to do? We want to say we'll do whatever we have to do to come alongside and help you be a confident parent. We could all use some confidence, right, in our parenting. And I'll bet you know somebody who needs to become more confident in their parenting. I would suggest that you use this as an opportunity to bring some parents who are not Christians, they're friends of yours from work or other areas, and in under the umbrella of parenting that you get them to a place where they can find some good and helpful information that will give them some success as a parent. And what a better place to do that than a church. Would you invite some friends? we got to do some things that nobody's doing to reach some people nobody's reaching. And so we're asking you to invite people and come on out to that experience. We want to come alongside and help you in practical ways to raise your children in the Lord. So God wants the first of your heart. God wants the firstborn. God wants, number three, the first of your income. The tithe, 10% of your income dedicated to God for his work on earth. And that's what we're talking about when we look at Cain and Abel. 
It was the tithe. It was the very first that they would bring. But for Cain, it was in the course of time. For Abel, it was, I'm going to give you my firstborn. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 8, God asks, Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. So God is coming back and saying, honor me with the first. And we say it here time and again, that we honor God with the first and the best, and he'll bless the rest. We tell you time and again through personal experience, listen, if it didn't work, I probably wouldn't want to do it. But I know in my own life, I have watched that we honor God with the tithe, and God does more with 90% in my life than I can do by trying to manage 100%. And I begin participating in what God is doing in and around the world as we honor him with the first that we give it to him. And it's a beautiful thing. And then above and beyond that, we give offerings. We give things that are, so he says tithe, which is the tithe, but offerings are, these are areas I specifically want to give to. And last year, we did a thing called My Best Gift, where we asked people to give above and beyond the tithe to My Best Gift. And in the course of doing the My Best Gift offering, I want you to know that we raised just shy of $60,000. Will you give it up for that? That is good stuff. Minus electronic fees, it's like 57.6. But, uh, but I want you to know, literally, like that is just amazing that we will use to bless in terms of missions. We will use it for future strategic opportunity, and we will use it for some capital improvements. It's going to be phenomenal in leveraging how we engage our culture with the good news of Jesus Christ. But I, I got to show you this. Uh, we got this envelope for my best gift, and this envelope came in, and on the back, something was written on this envelope, and there was a bag taped to it. I've got a picture here. It says... $5 in envelope, $10 in quarters. And the bag of quarters was taped to the envelope, but it wouldn't fit through the slot in the back because the quarters were too big. And so this, this little kid had to give this to an usher and say, I, I don't know, I want to give this, but I, I got to give it to you because it won't fit in there. We give it up to like some little kid honoring God, living by faith. And it's just a beautiful example that somebody's saying, I will give above and beyond, but I want to honor God. And, and I just love that picture that he couldn't get his quarters in the bin while they were in a Ziploc bag. God wants the first of your income. And it's doable. We tell ourselves it's not doable. And so many of you last year, we watched some of you take a three-month tithe challenge and we watched time and again where it was doable and God did more in your life with 90% than you could do with 100. And it's just a beautiful thing when we honor God with the first, when we obey him in that way. Number four in your outline, believers are dedicated unto the Lord as first fruits of all that God created. We are the first fruits. James chapter 1 verse 18 says this, he chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. In other words, think, consider all of creation. And God is saying of all of creation, we're giving you birth through the word of truth and you become kind of a first fruits. I want to point out all the time we're asking, is there other life out there? Is there other life out there? Is there other life out there? And what we're doing is we're looking out there and God's saying out there is a big mirror supposed to show you that you of all of creation are a first fruit dedicated unto the Lord. For those of you who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, as you give your heart to him, God says you are like that first fruit of all he created 
he is given. And not only that, but God is given back to us by the death of his son who conquered death, came to life, and lives with him. Number five, if you've left your first love, do first things to get it back. People ask all the time, I just feel so distant from God and my heart feels cold and I'm just, I just, I'm just not forgiving myself and I'm, I've got all these things going on and people will always say, I'm distant from God, how do I get back? But we're told how to get back. One of the best ways you can get back to close to the Lord is just by doing first things. In fact, Revelation chapter two, verse four through five, God says this, yet I hold this against you. He's speaking to a church. I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. So he's telling this entire church, repent. Repent means just turn around from whichever way you've been going. Turn around, come back to the Lord and do the things that you did at first. That's the way to get back with God. So you and I can do first things. You say, well, what kind of first things? Well, could you begin to give God the first of your heart, even if it's a heart of stone right now? Yes. Could you honor God with your firstborn? Could you give him the first of your income? Can you understand that you are a first fruit? And can you begin to do some of the first things by faith? I believe you can. Number six. Most of you in this room are doing this right here, right now. You're looking at Sunday as the first day of your week. You're honoring God. You're giving God the first. So often in our culture, uh, our culture wants to turn Sunday into Sunday fun day, right? You've seen Sunday fun day. That all the time we want to make it look like Sunday fun day. You see that right there? That's what they want to do, right? But so often what we understand is Sunday becomes the most fun day when we honor God with the first day of the week. So often we think that Sunday is the last day of the week because work starts again on Monday for many. But the truth is, Sunday on our calendars is the first day of the week. And so the first portion of the first day of the week, we give to God. And then we give it to recreation and fun and football and whatever else, right? But we want to honor God with the first day of the week. And let me tell you something. I want to encourage you. How do I honor God with the first of my week even more this year? What would it look like this year if you, when you went on vacation, looked ahead of time and said, where, where could I find a Bible-believing, gospel-preaching church in an area that really matters, that we're going to? So let's say you're going on vacation up to Tahoe. Could you look for a Bible-believing, gospel-preaching church in Tahoe? Could you take the first part of your Sunday, and could you honor God by spending time with them on the first of your day? I mean, yeah, it, I know it's vacation. It might take away from... Yeah, sleeping in or going to a big fat breakfast or something else, right? But what do we model for our kids? What do we model for each other? How do we particularly say, I'm going to honor God with the first when I'm on vacation to honor the Lord on Sunday? So not only do we honor God with these first, but number seven, I want to encourage you to honor God with the first part of your day. And this is where you and I spend time in Bible and in prayer, not just running ahead of our day and getting in trouble and then saying, God, I need you because I'm in trouble, but instead honoring God with the very first part of our day. Jesus modeled this in Mark 1, 35. It says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. In Psalm 5, 3, the psalmist writes, in the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my request before you, 
and wait expectantly. Let me just ask, does God hear your voice in the morning? Do you lay your request before him? I'd encourage you, I've got my Bible on my phone, and so a practice I've started recently is that uh, before my feet hit the floor, I'll read in my Bible. And so I open my YouVersion app and I, the Bible app on my phone and I am either in a Bible reading plan or I pick a place that, that God I think wants me to have me read that day and I begin to read and I read that chapter and I begin to talk to God before I get out of bed. So before my feet hit the floor, I do that. And then oftentimes I'll attach Bible time to something I'm already doing like breakfast. I'm going to eat so I'm going to attach Bible time in the routine of my day to something I'm already doing. And so because otherwise it just simply won't happen. But I want to honor God with the first of my day. Every day. Not someday. Not I still got time. Not I'll get there eventually. Not when I'm older and things slow down. Not when this busy season gets done. Not when I don't have little kids anymore and they're all grown and I'll have slower mornings. No, it's now. It's the first. It's you're able to give God the first by faith. Let me tell you something. Give God the first of your day, and your day will go better. And if it doesn't, how you handle your day is going to go a lot better. I guarantee it. The bad stuff that comes on your day, if you give God the first of your day, it'll make your day better even when bad things come up. How you handle them will be better. Give God the first of your week and your week will go better. Give God the first of your income and your provision will be better. Give God the first and the best. He'll bless the rest. Give God the first of your words and your actions and love like Jesus. Your love will remain in him and your love will show that you have a relationship with Jesus. Tell God, I love you. Tell them in your words and your actions, not just as we're singing a song and we're like, God, I love you, but tell God, God, I'm going to love you by sacrificing me. I'm going to honor you with the first. Give God the first of your heart, and your heart will begin to experience deep wholeness and healing and significance that you're longing for. Honor God with the first. In our fear, he wants us to believe him and choose to step out and risk by faith. Remember, being a Christian means that we are people of faith. You can't separate faith from being a Christian. The two have to coexist. And so to be someone, not someone who just says, I believe, but someone who says, I will walk by faith. I not only believe in God, but I believe God in my situations that I'm facing right now. I believe God in my finances. I believe God in my parenting. I believe God in the first of my day. I believe God can handle my vacations. I believe God in all these areas. God, I'm believing you. That is good news. Do you realize the Bible never specifically exhorts us to have childlike faith? Not explicitly, not in so many words. The disciples asked Jesus, when we get to heaven, who's going to be the greatest? Who's going to be the greatest in heaven? And so Jesus said, well, you must become like children in order to enter the kingdom of heaven. He called the little child to him and said, truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. So the disciples Their focus on what constituted greatness in heaven and what pleases God 
Jesus provided for them a new focus that the way up is actually the way down. The way up is saying, God, I am second. You are first. I'm going to honor you with the first. I am second. Meekness is required. Taking our inner pride and being willing to step into humility and surrender and the active moment of faith that we say, God, I will, I will cause an act of the will to honor you with the firsts is what's required. God is first, and I'm second. When you take that position, you are the greatest in heaven's eyes. This is exactly what Abel did and why he was commended by God. By faith, James says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. How many of you could use some lifting up today? Humble yourselves in the Lord. Be real with yourself and with God and with others. He will lift you up. Hebrews 11 4 says this, by faith Abel brought a better offering than Cain did, and by faith he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings, and by faith Abel still speaks even though he's dead. The issue is always going to be who's going to be the greatest. Are you going to be God of your life, or are you going to give God the first of your life and show him to be God? What are we going to do? Are we going to be people who live by faith and give God the first? Are we going to be people who cower in fear and we elevate ourselves even though we know God is first? Listen, my decisions made by faith will outlive my earthly life and needs. My decisions made by faith will outlive my earthly life and needs. And on your outline, you've got a blank at the bottom and it says this, by faith, my first first will be. And this morning, by way of decision, I want you to write down, this is for you, but I want you to write down what your first first is going to be. What are you going to do? Of the first that we look like on your outline that we walk through to honor God with the first, what's your moment of decision? What's your first first going to be here in 2019? This year, we want to grow in faith as people. We want to grow in faith as a church. We want to be people who live by faith. Not just grow numerically, but we want to grow in depth. We want to grow in a way that we are honoring God with the first. And the best way we can do it is by giving God his rightful place, his rightful throne. The God who speaks into creation all that we see that we can't travel, that we can't fathom. But to honor him with the first. And the beautiful thing is that he gave his firstborn for us. Now the God of heaven said, I love you so much. I will humble myself and become flesh in the person of Jesus. He'll live a perfect life. He will choose to willingly be beaten and hang on a cross and take the wrath of God against the unrighteousness of our sin upon himself. And instead he'll trade to us his righteousness. You get my righteousness. I take what you deserve. I take the first punishments that you deserve. I take all of it upon myself. And God canceled it out through Jesus on the cross. 
God loves you enough to extend honor to you by sacrificing the first. Cain didn't get it. He thought he could just get around to it. Abel got it. He was killed for it by his own brother, the first murder recorded in human history. And yet, his faith is still commended to him as righteousness. He pleased God with the life that he had. The question is, are you and I going to do that? The first thing that we can do is give God our heart with your heads bowed, your eyes closed, just thinking about your own life. Maybe today is the day that you give God your heart. That you say, God, I, I can't be forgiven. I, I, I can't you know, make myself clean and only you can by what you did on the cross. And God, I want to give you my heart, that, that soul on the inside. God, I want to give that to you because you can wash me and make me as white as snow. You can make me a new creation. And if that's you today, you pray a prayer right where you're seated like this. Just pray, Jesus, today I give you my heart. I ask you to come into my life and make me a new creation spiritually on the inside. I believe you died on the cross for my sin, that you were buried, that you rose to new life because you're God. So today, Jesus, I give you me. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.